0: has spoken my heart your word is the lampless we will my do. path forever I'm humbled and we will understand oh. Oh. and I'm Father, I thank you that I get to be a part of a church where thousands upon thousands truly are faithful to you, and it's making such a difference in the lives of people like Justin, who now has a future and a hope, Uh, like what's happening in Anaheim, where people's lives are being touched and changed, like what's happening in Adopt-A-Block, and God, the hundreds and hundreds that go and volunteer down there, and, and neighborhoods are being transformed, and and in our own church, in our own ministry, in our own neighborhood, the empowering's happening. And God, we know that one person can make a difference. We know that a group of people, a family of people can make even a bigger one. So may we be that family more than ever in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I'm going to ask the question. How many of you read chapter 8? Let's see your hands. All those who read chapter 8. Okay, that's good, but not what we need. It's important you read ahead because we want to go deep, deep, deep into God's Word. Uh, If you don't have a copy of the story, you can get one today. If you can't afford it, we'll give you one. And there's still a chance to catch up. If you read a little every day, you'll catch up with us. It's really important because in the coming weeks... We get into more a complex area. Now, why is it complex? Because to understand what's happening, you would go to Isaiah. You would go to the Chronicles. You'd go to Kings. You'd go. And so a lot of people don't know how to put those together. And we're going to be able to have you put that together. So I want to tell you, I want you to be in God's word. I want you to get this. So more and more of you, grab one of those, start reading, catch up with us. You'll be glad you did. But now we're in the book called Judges. And a lot of people don't know what judges are because we think about our judges. You know, the guy in the black robe that sits in a courthouse. And maybe you've even heard about a guy who was arrested and he was brought before a judge. And the judge looked at him and said, in all my years of being a judge, I have never heard of a crime like this. I cannot believe you did it. I have never heard of a man who actually killed and ate a California condor. They're protected. How how could you do such a thing? And the guy said, Your Honor, I'm just going to plead guilty. But, I mean, I was looking at it, and I had a chance to get it, and I thought, what's it taste like? And so I gave in. I shouldn't have. And I deserve. I'm guilty, guilty. And the judge looked at him and said, Man, I I still can't believe you did this, but, I mean, I don't even know how to handle this. So what I'm going to do, if you promise never to eat a condor again, I'm going to put you on probation for nine months. And the guy said, Your Honor, you're gracious. Thank you. And he's getting ready to leave. The judge said, wait a minute. I got to ask, what's a condor taste like? And the guy said, a lot like an American bald eagle. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. It gets better, I promise. All right. Um, so the judges back then were different. Judges back then were spiritual leaders. Uh, they were the political leader. And they were the judicial leader of their day and the military leader. They were like having all of our branches of our our government put into one person. And that one person led spiritually, politically, military, and and in judicial ways. And so they came along when the nation of Israel had gotten in trouble. And here's the, the main message of Judges. You ready? One person can turn the tide. One person can make a difference. We're looking at a 330-year period, and, and, and people at times came forward, and they turned the tide, and they rescued a nation. And that's what I don't want you to miss. That's a big part of the story, that God can use you and I to make a difference. If we're on a timeline, remember we're over here in Joshua, and Joshua has led the people into the promised land, and he has conquered 31 cities and 31 kings. And then a statement is made about Joshua I hope you didn't miss. All the days of the life of Joshua, the people followed God. And even when Joshua died, those leaders he left behind, the people still followed God. Why? Because Joshua had a faithful heart. He was willing to take a risk and trust God and do it God's way and not his own. And, and he had stirring words. He called people to action. And because of that, they followed God. For all those years, with all the leaders, it was passed down. But then when we come to the book of Judges, something happens. The people, instead of following the word of God, start following the world. The culture around them seeps in, and they're caught up in it. They leave being faithful to God, and so their light is turned to darkness. And whenever that happened, they would go through bondage. They would go through a heartache. They would go through pain. And then God would raise up a judge to bring them back. Here's the other big idea I don't want you to miss. When our morality is dictated by the world and not by the word, then we're always going to be a mess. Things are never going to work out. We'll lose the blessing of God. God says that he's only going to bless, if you study the story, he will only bless those who live by faith and faithfully follow his word, not the world. And we need to be a people whose morality and lifestyle is dictated by the word of God, not the world around us. And far too often that's not the case. Far too often we see people veering off course. And so here's where I want to begin. When my morality is dictated by the world, I lose the blessing of God. If you have your notes and want to jot that down, it's worth remembering. When my morality is dictated by the world, I lose the blessing of God. Now we see two reasons that the people lose the blessing of God. And and by the way, we battle these today. Number one, they lost the blessing of God because they were guided by the God of I think and I feel and not the word. You might think, okay, what are you talking about? See, the word of God would say this, and they would say, but I think. And they would overrule the God with what they think. Or I feel, and they would overrule the word of God with what they feel. Where do we get that? Judges 21, 25 says, in those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. See, not doing what God says, not doing it according to God's ways, they would only do what was right in their own eyes. That's not only told us in Judges 21, 25, but also in Judges 17, verse 6. And by the way, what that saying back then is true today. I talk to people all the time who will get into a spiritual discussion, and I'll say, but the Bible says this, and they'll say, I know the Bible says this, but I think. You see a problem there? They'll even acknowledge, the Bible states this clearly, but I think, and therefore because I think it, that's more powerful than the Bible, and that's the direction of my life. In Isaiah, Isaiah warns this, that God says, my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor my ways your ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my thoughts higher than your thoughts, and my ways higher than your ways. God's warning us that you and I can't think on his level. And he's always right. By the way, all of you, would everybody admit this? Has has everybody here at one time believed something to be true and found out you were wrong? Has everybody had that happen? And so what you thought was wrong? See, we're fallible. But the word of God's infallible. God is never, ever wrong. So if we're wise, we're not going to live our life according to I think and I feel. We're going to live it according to the word of God. We're going to follow his word in his ways. That's what God wants us to do. In Proverbs chapter 3, the calling comes for you and I. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and then he will direct your path. The blessing of God comes when we follow him. But the curse of God comes when we do not. We lose the blessing. We don't have what God wants for us. Isaiah again was warning not only the people of his day, but us. When he said, we, when we follow our ways, the I think, and we follow the I feel, we mix things up. We call what's good evil and what's evil good. Listen to what he says here in Isaiah 5, 20 and 21. Woe. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness. Who substitute bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and clever in their own sight. In other words, you and I all live a horrible life. But please don't miss, this is the world we live in. God's word is beautiful and it calls all of us, not just to the good, but the very good. That's what we saw. God wants to have a life for you that isn't just good, but very good. He loves you that much. And so when he says, I don't want you doing certain things or acting in certain ways or partaking in these activities or these thoughts or attitudes, you know what, it's because God loves you. He loves you and he loves me. And and sometimes we act like, but I don't get it, God. And the world around us says. And we are living in a society that calls good evil and evil good. Now, I'm going to go ahead and just state a couple of those issues. And I don't do it to be offensive, but I just want, and if this bothers you, what I'd love for you to do is we have pastors up here afterwards that would love to dialogue with you about this. But I'm going to ask you to, I'm going to challenge some thinking here. So get ready. See, the Bible says it is good that no one have any kind of sexual activity until they're married, called abstinence. That's good. The Bible calls abstinence good. Does our society call abstinence good? No. The matter of fact, the minute I say that we have a, a value here, all of you parents, if you send your students to, to our ministries, I promise you we will teach abstinence there because it comes right out of the Word of God. And we'll call them to innocence and a life of purity and valuing their body. By the way, are you ready? We're going to call for girls not to let guys use them for their own pleasure, to let themselves have a life that has wholeness and value. Now, now you know what? The world says we're crazy for that. We're ignorant for that. And they act like, oh, well, you just don't know. You know why? Because they don't know what's good and what's evil. They keep mixing it up. Now we'll go to the next one. Get ready. Um, The Bible says that marriage is precious to God and marriage is between a man and a woman. That's the clear definition. That's in the Bible. Yeah. Now... What I just said, now let's talk about it. It, Did what I just say, do you know that outside of here, people are going to say, I'm hateful? Right? By the way, I don't believe I'm being hateful. I, I mean, we love people. We care for people. We're calling people to the good life. And you go, oh, but you said that. That makes you hateful. Well, no, Jesus said it. Jesus said, for this cause, a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. God created marriage to be a beautiful, beautiful thing. And the world doesn't see it that way. And the minute I say that, they go, oh, you're an evil man for saying it. But yet the Bible says it. And the Bible calls it good what I just said. And and then people go, well, Chuck, you're homophobic. I'm like, no, I'm not. I mean, you could call me names all you want. But the truth is it comes right out of Scripture. And we're in a society that keeps mixing that up, and, and we need to understand it's I think and I feel doesn't work. And if you go, well, I don't understand why. Well, i got to tell you, the Bible says it. And I know some people, they'll go, okay, but, but that's not who I am. Well, I know that's not who even some people here are. But anybody who loves God and follows Christ, that's who we are. We follow the Word and not our ways. Uh, That's what we do. And, And so we need to understand it. Now let me tell you another reason why we do this. We do it because when we follow the word and not the world, we get the blessing of God. That's what God wants to do. Psalm 23, listen to what it says. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down by green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me. Catch this. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. When the Lord is my shepherd, that means he leads and I follow. He guides and I listen. And when he does that, he leads me into a beautiful, incredible, wonderful life. That's what it says there. It says that we go beside the waters that nourish us. He restores our soul to the depths of who we are. That's what God does. And so why do we want to go according to his ways and his word? Because that's what the shepherd who loves you and cares about you wants for you. And then you get to verse 6. Surely, surely goodness and mercy or loving kindness, will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Surely God's loving kindness and goodness will follow me all the days of my life. I love that idea. Why? God wants the very good for you. Now, now here's what this means. When I'm following the shepherd and in his ways, going according to his word, what is following me? The very, very good and love. And the very, very good love give birth to joy. And so when I turn around and go, God, where are you leading me? He goes, guess what's about to catch up to you? Guess what's chasing you down? The Hebrew word there about follow actually means to chase down. Now, let me give you a word picture for that that I think will make it more understandable. What does it mean for the goodness of God and the love of God to chase you down? Well, the other night, we were dropping off our grandchildren, and Eleni's two years old. And I said to Eleni, I said, give Papa a kiss goodbye. And she looked at me and said, catch me, Papa, catch me. And she took off running. And so I'm running after her and she's screaming with joy. Ah! And I ran and I swept her up in my arms and I'm hugging her and kissing her and she's laughing. And when I set her down, catch me. And I chased her down again. And I'm chasing her down to hug and kiss and tickle her and create joy in her life. Do you know what the Bible says? The Abba Father is chasing you down to hug and kiss you. Did you. That's the picture. See, a lot of people think Christians are religious. No, it's not about a religion. It's about a relationship with God who actually is sneaking up on you to grab you and give you the very good life, to love you, to care for you. And I don't know about you, but I love the fact when the Father grabs hold of me. And, and he wants to do that. That's what God wants to do. And so he has the desire to do it. But we need to understand the first thing that can cause us to miss out on all this is when we live according to the God of I think. The second thing is when we fail to pass our faith on to our children. When we fail to pass our faith on to our children. In the book of Judges, listen to this reviling accusation. It says this in verse 10. All that generation also were gathered to their fathers, and there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord, nor yet the work which he had done for Israel. There's a whole generation that did not know the work of God. No one had taught them. No one had shared with them. No one had done what they should. Now, by the way, again, he's talking about our day and time too. In the Corona-Norco School District, there are right around 40,000 students. And 85% of them do not attend church anywhere. Now, think about that number. 85% 85% and maybe more of the students in our school district that's local to us do not attend any born again Bible teaching church. It's a generation lost, a generation not being told. We actually had two different teachers tell us that they had mentioned the fact to their students oh, by the way, this weekend I was in church. And their, the response from students in the class is, what is church? Now, it's a generation we're losing. All across the country, we're seeing every single year, less and less uh, uh, teenage students attend church anywhere. And, And we can't let that happen. We can't let that happen here. And we have to help other churches across this country. I praise God that we have the children's ministry we have that pours into our children and teaches them God's word. So while you're here right now, that's happening. I praise God for our generate ministry where on Wednesday night this building is filled with thousands and thousands of the next generation that are worshiping God. And and we are committed to this. And by the way, because of your faithfulness, we can be more effective with it. And what are we doing? Well, it's found in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, where it says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and all your might. That's the great commandment. That we would love God with all our our heart and all our soul and all our might. But notice what it follows with These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart and you shall teach them. Who? Who do we teach them to? You shall teach them diligently to your sons and talk to them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. God says, I want you to teach your children. I want you, when you're walking, to teach your children about me. When you're sitting down, I want you to teach your children about me. When you're rising up, all of the grandparents in the room, it's our job to teach our grandchildren. All of the parents in the room, it's your job to teach your children. And by the way, if you don't catch this, if you're not going to pour the word of God and truth into their lives, the world around you will pour other things in. That's what Jennifer Felix recently kind of brought to light for us. We're seeing this happen, and we don't want to. Our children are too valuable to us and we need to be teaching them the word and way of God. We need to teach them of God's love. So how does this say we do it? First of all, we do it intentionally. Everybody here who has a child that you can reach out to ought to have intentional times to teach your children about God. Uh, One of the joys of the story, I have gotten email after email after email uh, from families saying this, we are loving the story because not only do we as parents read it, but we know it's being taught in the children's ministry. What we're studying and judges now, they're studying. And then they said, once a week, we gather our kids together and we read a chapter of the story to them. Now, do you know what I'm hearing most of all? Is the children are telling their parents, it's my favorite time of the week. They're saying, my mom and dad are reading that to me. It's my favorite time. And, and we need to do that. So we need to do it intentionally, and we're giving you the tools to do it, and we'll keep giving you the tools to do it. Uh, by the way, we need to do it unintentionally. Now, what does that mean? Just in the moment, because God's word's in my heart, and I'm going to talk about the Lord. It's just something that's caught rather than taught. By the way, everybody here knows this, right? The truth is easier caught than taught. Does everybody know that? You know, it's what we model and who we are, and it has more of an effect than what we even teach. But we need to do both. We need to do both. Uh, the other night, um, we were getting with Kai Hughes and Casey Butler because I'm going to be doing their wedding. So we were planning their wedding. And, and so they had not arrived yet. They were going to come over, and Tim and Jill and Liam and Eleni were there. And for those of you who don't know that Liam is my three-year-old grandson. And so what happened is we're playing and talking and laughing, and it's time for them to go so we can be with Kai and Casey. And I grab Liam in my arms, and Pam grabs Eleni and hers, and we're walking out to the car. And just as we do, Kai and Casey pull up. My grandson is the most intelligent young man I've ever seen in my life. Now, I'm gonna, you'll, you'll know in a minute. Casey Butler gets out of the car. His eyes light up, and he wants to give Casey a hug. That's smart. Yeah, so he's going for her and hugging on her real tight. And Then I said, just out of the top of my head, I said, Hey, uh, Liam, does God love Casey? And he looks at her, and he goes, Casey, God loves you. Then he goes, Casey, God loves me. And then he said, "And Casey, God loves my mom, and God fixed my mom's bike." Which I thought, "Wait, did you break her bike? Yeah, but God fixed it, you know." And uh, you know, and and here's the thing that I he was saying. Here's what he's saying: Psalm 20, uh, thirty-seven twenty-three. God delights in every detail of our life. My grandson knows that. He knows that God delights in every single detail of his life. By the way, let me say this if you didn't know. Psalm 37, 23 is for you. God delights in every detail of your life. And we've got to teach that. We've got to pass that down. We need to do it. And and so what happened is here is this generation that is living by the I think and I feel. Here's a generation no one is taught about God. And so what does God do? He raises up a judge to bring them back. One person that can make a difference. We see six times the cycle of sin and salvation occur in Judges. If any of you want to do an in-depth study, write down these four things. Because these four, this cycle happens six times, this four-part cycle, that they would sin. And then because they sin, they go into suffering. And because they're in suffering, they would finally submit to God. And then because they submit to God, they would find the salvation of God. Why? God in the end wants to bring us to salvation. But when we sin, we suffer. And when we finally are suffered enough and we call out to God, God comes and we submit to him. And then we find his salvation. And judges were supposed to do that. We see in Judges chapter 2, 11 to 19, these words. Then the sons of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. They served idols. And they forsook the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt and followed other gods from among the gods of the people who were around them and bowed themselves down to them. Thus, now catch this, because of this, they provoked the Lord to anger. Now, don't miss that God God does get angry. I I always get amazed that people don't understand. God actually gets angry, angry at this. Sin angers God. Rebellion angers God. Turning away from him angers God. He, He does get angry. In verse 13, it says, So they, they forsook the Lord and served the Baals and the Ashtoreth. The anger of the Lord burned against Israel, and He gave them into the hand of plunders who plundered them. He sold them into the hands of enemies around them, so they could no longer stand before their enemies. Whenever, wherever they went, the hand of the Lord was against them for evil, as the Lord had spoken, as the Lord had sworn to them. So they were severely depressed. Now, Now, don't miss this. The Bible teaches, the story of the Bible teaches that God gets angry when we sin and takes his hand of blessing off of us. Then he does this thing called discipline. God actually causes things to occur in our life that will cause us to suffer. That's part of it. We sin, then we suffer. And that's what the Bible teaches. By the way, God is anything but a God who's way out here and doesn't care about your individual life. He will move. He will act for you if you're following him and against you if you're not. You see, a lot of times, uh, uh, I've heard people say, man, you know what, I lost my job. I don't know why the devil's against me. Well, well, here's the question. Was it the devil? See, if you're Job, Job was a completely righteous man. So it was easy for him to say, this isn't God. But if you and I are not completely righteous, don't be so quick to think it's the devil and not God doing it to you. And you might say, whoa, wait a minute, are you telling me God may cause me to lose my job? The answer is yes, I am. Are you saying that God will actually curse my economy, my economic picture? Yes, the Bible teaches he does. Are are, are you saying that I could get sick and it would be God? Are you ready? I had some people when they first heard this, good Chuck, are you kidding? And the answer is yes, the Bible teaches that. And not just in the Old Testament, in Corinthians it says, people who take communion in an unworthy manner very often are struck sick. God does. And we, when, rather than being so quick to say, oh, it's life or the devil, shouldn't we step back and go, God, is there something you're trying to show me? And, and here's the thing I don't want you to miss. God loves you enough to do that. If, if my children act inappropriately and I'm a good parent, won't I punish them? And I'm trying to teach them not to do something. And I used to try to find the, the cleverest ways to get them to see don't act that way. Like one night, my, my sons were acting up, and I'm never gonna abuse them, but i just so frustrated. How can I wake them up not to act this way? And, and so, because it's wrong and it hurts them, and I can't bless them in this moment. And so, all of a sudden, it hit me. I go, If you guys do that again, one of you will stand in the bathtub. Oh, no, I didn't mean with water. And, and Tim did, he messed up, and I picked him and said, Five minutes in the bathtub. And he's crying, not the bathtub. You know, and. Uh, Why did I do that? I wasn't trying to find a way to abuse him. I was trying anything but that. I want to wake him up. It's kind of like the mom who's talking to her five-year-old daughter, and and she says, don't do that, and the girl does it. She said, I told you, don't do that again. The girl does it again, and the mom says, if you do that one more time, you'll have to live with the consequences. And she got wide-eyed and turned and said, no, mom, no, I want to live with you and daddy. I don't want to live with the consequences. God is trying to say, I don't want you to live with the consequences. But if you do it, you will. And over that 330-year period in Judges, 111 years of that time, they live with the consequences. They didn't have to. They could have had victory. They could have had hope. They could have had love. But they live with the consequences. Then when they suffered, what did they do? They said, God, God, save me. And God says, I want to do that. By the way, the same for you or me. Whenever you and I blow it, whenever you and I even intentionally sin, like you know you're gonna sin and you do it anyway, God says, all right, here's some consequences, but I hope you turn to me. I hope you come to love me. I hope you let me help you. That's what God wants to do. Isaiah 30, verse 15 says this, for thus says the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, in repentance and rest you will be saved, and in quietness and trust you will find strength. And then it says, but you were not willing. You just didn't want it. And you said, no, we will flee on horses. And what they're saying there is, forget it. We're just going to flee on a horse and do it and get, do things our own way. And God says, then those who flee will flee. And you say, well, I'll go on swifter horses. And God says, then those who are very, very swift are going to pursue you. God says 1,000 will flee at the threat of one man. You shouldn't even have to be running, but one person will make you run. You will flee at the threat of five until you are left as a flag on the top of a mountain and a signal on a hill. And what that meant is, is you'll be on this hill all alone with all your energy and everything not going right. And you'll finally be like a flag that says, I surrender, I surrender. And God says, good, I want you to surrender. And it says this in verse 18. Therefore, the Lord longs to be gracious to you. Therefore, he waits on high to have compassion on you. For the Lord is a God of justice. How blessed are those who blessed are those who long for them. So, what do we see here? The people would turn from God and they would sin and they would start suffering and, and finally they would cry out and God would raise up a judge. That's what Judges 2, I encourage you to read later, 16 to 19 say. He would bring one person to make a difference. And that's the story of Judges, that one person can make a difference. When you look at who it is, it's pretty amazing. Uh, the people are in the midst of heartache and sorrow and God raises up Deborah to be a judge. Don't miss it's a woman. I, sometimes the Bi- people act like the Bible is anti-women. Let me tell you some if you haven't thought about it. Every single culture that Christianity has affected the rights of women of sort. Did you know that? You look around the world today where women have rights, it's because of Christianity. That's why. And, and, and isn't it interesting that God chose Deborah to be one of the judges? And the Bible says she was a prophet and she was the leader of Israel. Uh, by the way, all you women here, God wants to use you. Now, back then, not now, but back then, women were looked down upon, and she was the least likely candidate to lead. Yet God chose Deborah, and she led the people in a revival. Uh, then there's another judge, and, and this guy, he was cowering. He was filled with fear. He would hide out, and, and when he's encountered by an angel, an angel appears and says, Hail, mighty warrior. And he's like, Me? God saw something in Gideon. Gideon didn't see in himself. And God called Gideon to act. And Gideon blows the trumpet. By the way, when he blows the trumpet, he's either going to live or die. That's a courageous act. Because when he blew the trumpet, the Midianites know, you're taking a stand against us. And if no one shows up, Midian's, uh, the Midian will kill him. But Gideon doesn't, and and he rises up, and he leads a very small group of men against an astronomical army and defeats them all. Why? Because God is with him. So whether you're a woman or cowering in fear, God can use you. And then there's Jephthah. He's not in chapter 8. You may want to go grab the book of Judges and read about him. Jephthah comes from a blended family. And I've seen some beautiful blended families, but I've also seen how conflict can rise in a a magnified realm and raid in a big, in blended family. Some of you have too. Well, his was one of conflict. His was dysfunctional. His was hate-filled. They drive him out, ostracized him, so he had no family and no home. He goes into a very real gang lifestyle, and in that lifestyle, God reaches out to him and calls him to him, and he becomes a man of the word and a man of the way of God, and he leads the people out. He seemed like the least likely person. Homeless and without a family, and God used them. Then there's Samson. I'm always intrigued by Samson. Samson, if you haven't caught it, was a mess. Did you guys catch that when you read it? The first words of Samson are this, I saw a woman, and it went downhill from there, (laughs) right? He was blinded to his first wife and blinded by the last woman he was with. He was blinded by the first woman, or blind to the first woman and blinded by the last. And and to the point that he suffered, to the point that it wrecked him. And you know what? He was anything but the pure man that we would want him to be. And you can't read Samson without going, wait a minute. This guy made horrible choices and, and did wrong things. And then you go, but how could God use him? Are you ready? Because God's a redeeming God. And when in the end, he never gave up on Samson. And in the end, Samson turned back to him. So in the book of Judges, we see the least likely people being used by God the most, just like God does today. And God is saying, it doesn't matter who you are or what you've done. I can take you and I can love you and I want to chase you down with goodness. I want to embrace you in my arms. And then I want to set you, set you free to be the person who empowers change because you can make a difference. This church can make a difference if we all come together like we never have before. If we all live for God, one of us can make a difference. Us together, God's going to do great things. And God wants that for you. But here's the question. Are you holy and completely following God? If that's not you today, I'm going to ask you to do it. Maybe you've never committed your life to Christ. I'm going to ask today that if you're ready to do that, and, 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 and maybe you're not even ready. Maybe you came here not knowing that was going to happen. I'm going to ask you today to actually say yes to God. And here's If you're brand new, Brand new, here's what you need to do. You need to pray a prayer. You need to say to God, you know what, Lord, I really do want to give my life to you. I know, Jesus, you died on the cross for me and you make all the difference. And so right now, I'm going to say, if you've never done that, do you realize you would walk out of here, if you would pray that prayer, you'll walk out of here knowing God, being transformed, completely forgiven, and completely his. And how does it begin? Just by telling him, I want it. And in a moment, I'll lead a prayer where you can say that to him. Uh, uh, Some of you today need to recommit your lives to Christ. You need to open up your heart to him. You need to say to the Lord, I want to give myself to you completely again. I used to know you. I used to live for you. Or I tried, but it didn't work out. So what should you do? You should recommit your life to the Lord and pray that prayer with me. Some of you today, you need healing. You came in hurting and you came in in pain, and God wants to bring you to Him. And I gotta tell you, something happens when you finally say, God, help me. Jesus didn't die just for your sins. He died for your hurts and pains, the sins committed against you. So today, you should open up to Him. And there's some of you who need to repent from I think and I feel. And say, you know what, I'm gonna be yours completely. So today, as we go into this time of prayer, I'm gonna ask God to stir and move. I'm gonna also ask that no one slip out during this time. We want those of you who are getting ready to think about making this decision and not have any distraction. So I'm going to ask, if you're right with God, would you pray for those right now who need Jesus? Let's go ahead and ask God to move in this time. Father, I know that you love every single person who's here. And I know, God, that there are some who are here today that need you that you love and you are longing on high to give compassion to them and to wrap them in your arms. That you're longing, Lord, to show them life and love and joy. That, God, you long to forgive and cleanse them completely so they're brand new. And I ask right now that you would begin to stir and touch them. And I pray, O oh Lord God, that their hearts right now can sense this is the moment. And soon out of their hearts will flow the rivers of living water as the Holy Spirit touches and moves. And it's something beyond comprehension. But it's about to happen. So I pray and I ask right now, God, that every person here who you're calling out to would know it's them. They would know that you know them by name. You know their thoughts. person who's sitting here right now that just the thoughts are, I'm scared. God, you know their thoughts. The person who's sitting here right now, Lord, and they're hurting and they've been, they've been angry at you and blaming you and they're not even sure why they're here. Lord, you know their thoughts and you love them and are going to take them beyond this. Father, the person that's sitting here right now, and they've been wounded and betrayed by their very family. On Thanksgiving and on Christmas, they have no one to be with. And they don't know why them. God, right now, you're about to touch and love on them like they can't imagine. Because you love them. So, Lord, anybody here who needs to give their life to you, I pray they would. Anyone here who needs to recommit, I pray they would. The person who needs healing right now, God, I pray they'd get it. We ask this in your name, Jesus. We're going to keep praying, and I'm going to lead that prayer right now where if you're ready to say yes to God or recommit or find God's healing touch, I'm going to ask you to pray it with me. But here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'll pray it, and I'll ask you just to whisper this. So if you want his love, he wants you. Let's just do this together. Right now, right now, if you're ready to say yes to him, whisper these words. Say, Lord Jesus, I know you love me, and I know you died on the cross. To forgive me and to cleanse me of all my sin, to heal me of all hurt and all pain, to free me from worry and fear, and to make me brand new, to make me completely alive, and to make me yours. And I know you want me, and I want you. So I open my heart to your love. I ask that you give me your spirit and I ask me that you make my life the life you want it to be because I want to be yours both now and forever. In Jesus' name, amen. And if you prayed that prayer, praise God.